Hello, everyone. Welcome into the official Maze and Brew Hoops podcast. I'm your host, Chris Castellani, joined by my co-host and friend and boss, Anthony Broom. Anthony, thanks for being here, man. Uh, hey, it does need to be said that we thought Michigan would play two games this week. Um, Penn State uh, did not hold up there under the bargain. I mean, I guess it's kind of the, the only fair way to put it. They uh, had some COVID issues and uh, Michigan will not be playing them or w- did not play them by the time you're listening to this on Sunday. So just one game for us to talk about, but uh, what a game it was. Michigan currently coming in at ranked number 10 in the country against the number 16 ranked Minnesota Golden Gophers, who I'd watched and had been genuinely one of the more surprising teams in the Big Ten. I mean, they, they beat Michigan State by a bunch. They shocked Iowa on, I believe it was Christmas Day. I mean, just a really, uh, you know, a pretty r- solid showing by Richard Pitino's team so far. And I- I'm about to say something that sounds odd, but it's true. This was a 25-point game. It was 82-57, to 57, and yet somehow it was not as close as the final score indicated. This thing was 35 at one point. Michigan took out all their starters. An absolute steamrolling by Juwan Howard's crew. And I think, you know, with each kind of game, especially in the Big Ten season, people have started to take notice. This was, I think, the big one where people went, okay, we've known this team is good. This team might be great. Do you kind of sense that shift, like kind of throughout people in the media that, yeah, this is this is a legit unit now? I mean, not to pat myself on the back, yeah. but... I've kind of been on this for a couple of weeks. I mean, it's, and again, that sounds way douchier than it's intended to, but it's nice to, you know, given with the, the stuff that we've just dealt with, with, you know, football and the coaching stuff, um, it's nice to have a theory of yours backed up by the product uh, that actually, you know, puts itself out into the world. And, um, you know, I would also be remiss if, you know, in my duties as your managing editor, podcast producer, whatever you want to call it, we, we're not just talking about Minnesota today. We'll, we'll get into the Minnesota game, but why don't you tease what we have coming up a little bit later too? Yeah, I, I've, I was, I, it's, it's already been a long morning. It's been crazy. So I appreciate you. You set me up for that. We get, we did an interview and we did a very fun interview with Stu Douglas, a former uh, Michigan basketball player. As I said, many times in the interview, one of the OGs of the beeline era co-host of the go blue with Stu podcast. Uh, and, you know, a really fun interview. This was, this is like the first interview I think I've ever conducted really uh, since doing this. And uh, that will be kind of in, in segment two here. Um, really looking forward to hearing people listening to that, talking about, you know, some memories of the beeline era, kind of his assessment of uh, Juwan so far. So I appreciate, yeah. Cause I, I spaced out there. I appreciate you uh, <laughs> set, setting that up. But uh, before we jump into that, yeah, let's even this morning now. <laughs> yes, exactly. But uh, I mean, l- let's just talk about this game, man. Cause this was a, Maybe it's kind of a this is a sad comment because it's kind of relative to the state of affairs that have gone on in Detroit sports here. But this is this was some of the most fun I've had watching sports in a minute, honestly, like the way this team played, the energy they were playing with. Um, I never had any doubt that they were that they weren't going to win this game. I mean, they just they came out. They were only up by six at halftime, but you just felt like they were better. They had the best player on the floor. And you know, I guess there's a million ways, places to go here, but uh I, one of the big matchups that people said was the Brett, uh, you know, Liam Robbins. Uh, it's yeah. Uh, versus um, Hunter Dickinson matchup. Uh, I think that debate about uh, how they're going to fare on the head to head is settled. Robbins scored Minnesota's exactly. first. Yes. <laughs> Robbins scored Minnesota's first five points and did not score again. 
And uh, I mean, we've said this three or four times in the last three weeks, but Hunter Dickinson with a career game, 28 points, eight rebounds, dude, 12 for 15 from the floor. He's one of the most efficient players in the country right now. And I, I guess we'll start with that. Just like, and this is, and I said this a week ago, it's gone beyond just a good story. Like this is a guy who's probably going to potentially be in line to be first team all conference right now with how he's playing. I mean, first team all conference freshman, all America. I mean, it's all there right now. Is there a better freshman? I I know Cade Cunningham is going to be the number one. I I assume he'll be the number one overall pick, but is there a freshman playing better on a night to night basis than Hunter Dickinson is right now? I haven't seen one. And I, admittedly haven't watched as much college hoops early this year because they're one, there just hasn't been as much of it. And two, um, it's been a crazy year. So haven't had, you know, by the time you, I've said this before, a lot of times by the time I shut my computer at the end of the day, I'm just looking to do anything else. But, you know, I, I get the sense that Hunter Dickinson is not just the best might be the best player on, on Michigan right now. Um, and that feels like less of a hot take with each passing game. Um, he might be the best freshman in the Big Ten. He might be the best freshman in, in America right now. Um, not adjusted for pro stock and things like that. We've we've talked with Daniel before about why he might not be a one and done. Um, but like I said, this guy, he's incredible, man. Uh, he's, he's such a quick – he's already – he was ready made out of the box to be a big contributor. And he's, he's just gotten, he's gotten better every single game. And it's, it's been consistent too. I mean, I looked up the other night and it wasn't in um, maybe not Minnesota. Maybe it was the game before when he had 26 I mean, he had another career hide on Wednesday night, not 28 points. Mm-hmm. He had 26. I think it may have been in that game on new year's Eve. I forget what it was, but um, you're just sitting there going, Oh my God. Like he had, he had 26 points and like, you noticed it, but you're like, you sit there at the end of the night and you're like, Holy crap. Like this guy's amazing. Um, you know what he's brought to the table, um, what, how he's raised the ceiling of this team Mm -hmm. is, I I don't know. I mean, the only way it can be measured if he's not on the floor. So knock on wood that that doesn't happen, but He's just, he's been everything they've asked and more. And what you're seeing now is um, Franz Wagner starting to play better. Isaiah Livers, I think more nights than not, has kind of quietly been bringing it. I mean, last year he was kind of the, the straw that stirred the drink. But, you know, this year he can kind of disappear or have a quieter game. And all these other guys are, um, are rising to the challenge around them. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like a broken record here, but, you know, when you look at the the roster that's been built, when you look at the um, the additions that have been made via the transfer portal, recruiting, everything that Jawan Howard has done since he got here has he's just you know he's he's David Ortiz with with two on two out in the bottom of the ninth. He's just hits home runs and, facing Joaquin Benoit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> bring up bad memories here i didn't mean to do that but (laughs) my my mind my mind immediately jumps to worst case scenario (laughs) no i I, trust me i get it um i don't it's just game like nothing they do surprises me anymore am i and and like i said it's one of those things too where oh 
Michigan's got a tough game coming up here. Uh, another top 20 team. They blow them out. Well, maybe they weren't that good. So the next game, oh, Michigan's got another game coming up here. Top 20 team. They blow them out. Oh, well, maybe they weren't that good. Mm. Um, <laughs> maybe Michigan is that good because yeah. outside of um, they've scored at least 80 points in every single game they've played this year. Everything outside of the Oakland game and the Penn State game, it hasn't really been close. They've all been pretty thorough victories. I mean, this this is, like I said, uh, Kempom right now, as I go back and look, has them as the number eight team in the country. Again, I haven't, a lot of these, well, you know, to me, Baylor and Gonzaga are those, you know, the one, two, that's pretty locked in right now. But yeah, I think you could make a case for this team anywhere. No one is as deep and as talented from like the, the top guy on the roster to the ninth or 10th guy on the roster as, as Michigan is. So yeah. um, what I saw against Minnesota didn't surprise me. I think that Michigan is in pretty clearly in that top tier with Wisconsin, who they'll play Tuesday with Iowa, um, with Illinois. I think Illinois, it's th- yeah. those four teams are kind of, you know, we talk about the big 10 being strong top to bottom. I think it's a four team race this year. I don't think it's like last year where, a, two good weeks from any team and a couple losses from anyone else, you know, puts you in the top four of the conference. I, I don't see that happening. It's, it's a four team race, but I think there's, tw- you know, there's 12 teams that can beat anyone probably on any given night. And, and that's the thing is you can, people will continue to, and even I, to a certain extent, have probably done this in the past to discredit certain wins. And I, I said last week, Northwestern being 19 was, I don't think reflective of how good they actually were, but this is, this is a year where I get you, kind of have to throw some of that stuff out the window. There's no bad wins in this conference this year. And quite frankly, I don't even know if there's many bad losses in this conference. I think every team you lose to is going to have some sort of merit. You know, maybe, maybe Nebraska being the only one, but even they have, they got some shooters, you know, they, they hung with Michigan for a while. They hung with Michigan state for a while. You know, you talk about how Dickinson's gotten better every game, but I think two, two other things. Juwan Howard's gotten better to me every game. I mean, there's been multiple occasions this year where I feel like in the second half, he's outcoached uh, the opposing coach. I think uh, against Maryland, switching to zone in the second half of that game when they were trailing by four was a huge move and completely flustered Mark Turgeon and, and his players. Uh, the adjustments in the second half, you know, really focusing in on Marcus Carr when he made that little run uh, in, the, in the first half, shutting down Robbins in the, uh, in the second half as well. And that's where the, the other big improvement has been because we said from the beginning – there's a lot of scores on this basketball team. There's a lot of guys who can shoot the ball. You have a guy down low who's essentially automatic in Dickinson, but uh, you know, is this team going to be able to grind? Is this team going to be able to win games defensively? And their last couple games have been phenomenal defensive performances. And I think it's uh, Juwan has realized that length is their strength. They have a bunch of guys on that team with long arms who can who can jump out of the gym, uh, who are matchup nightmares defensively. Chandy Brown is one of the best defenders in the Big Ten. Franz Wagner it is. It's difficult to get a shot over him. We know how good Dickinson is. Uh, Eli Brooks, just what a, he may lack in size, he makes up for in, in instincts on ball defense. There's very few in the conference that are better than he is, and I think that's where like this team's kind of ceiling has already been broken through where they have and you you've tweeted these numbers multiple times as well they've really risen like consistently in terms of of defensive efficiency rankings and the one thing minnesota did really well through the first 12 games they shot the basketball 
I mean, you know, going up against that <laughs> that not so vaunted Fran McCaffrey defense, they were, you know, they were lights out from three point range. Michigan really shut them down on the perimeter, seven for twenty eight uh, from three against Michigan. Minnesota was Marcus Carr, who's probably their best shooter, made two of those threes, but even he was only two for seven. Uh, and you know, you shut guys down at the perimeter, you think maybe they have their they have the ability to get something established down low, thirty two percent from the floor. And I think that that's where like you, you're seeing the biggest strides in my opinion with this basketball team, uh, it opposing teams right now are having difficulty just scoring on them. And when you have a team full of guys that can shoot the basketball and score the basketball as well as Michigan does, uh, it, it leads to 25 point blowouts against the number 16 team in the country. Yeah. I think the most important thing that's going on with them right now is I think they, not that they didn't know, um, what they were and, and the type of team they could be, but, I think they know what they are now, uh, and especially defensively. I think you nailed it. I mean, the rise through, I think at the start of maybe last, I mean, there was a point where Michigan was 44th defensively on Kempom. And I think that was around the time where I was going, listen, I don't think this is going to be a team that's able to hang its hat on defense, but I, I do think that they have um, top 25 potential. And what we've talked about before is that, okay, if you're a national title contender and the analysis bears this out again, broken record here. Typically speaking outside of those UConn teams, top 10 offense, top 15 defense right now, Michigan is at seventh offensively and 18th on defense with nothing to suggest that they won't keep moving up to, um, like I said, after this Wisconsin game, they've got probably their most winnable stretch of games, uh, the rest of the year. And then it gets kind of, it does get difficult down the stretch and they're going to lose games. We know that, um, but I just think they, the length, the athleticism, um, that's like, that's no one has a, no one else in the big 10 has a Franz Wagner who's six ten. He looks like, you know, he looks like Gumby. His, his arms stretch out in a million different directions. Uh, no one has that. Uh, no one has a, a, a freshman, you know, I think, I do think a big part of it is Hunter Dickinson is getting better defensively too. For sure especially as like a rim protector and um, kind of an eraser of, you know, what was the problem last year? Everyone came in and their center was having the best game of their lives against Michigan's interior defense this year. I think I remember he, he's kind of uh, he's kind of a, a, an eraser, so to speak. He, mm -hmm. He's kind of outdone everyone. That, and, you know, it's going to be pretty hard for anyone to outdo 26, 28 points in a game. But like I said, it's, it's incredible. And we're not even talking, we haven't even talked about, like, I think that Mike Smith has been better defensively than I thought he would be. I think Eli Brooks is, is a guy who's right in that, you know, I think he might be Michigan's best pure defender, especially for, you know, he usually draws the, you know, the Marcus cars of the world and some of the other top guards in, in the conference. So like I said, I mean, it's, um, you, Luke Yaklich isn't walking through that door, so to speak. I, I still, I'm not sure if they're, Top five, top – I mean, I, I could be eating my words here. They're 18th now. They, they'll continue to rise, it seems like. But um, this is – it's like they – they they have ever – like, I don't know what their weakness is, Chris. Like, I think that's what it boils down to. Like, where – if this team is going to – and it might be not hitting as many shots, but what is the likelihood that, you know, of the six or seven guys who are kind of consistently – offensive factors for this team. I mean, what is the likelihood that all of them or only two of them are on, on a given night? I just, yeah. I don't see it right now. I mean, this, this team it, is loaded. 
it's that you make a really good point there because, you know, I even now as as praiseworthy as we're being and they deserve all the praise. You know, I still have it in the back of my head. Like, when's the other what's the other shoe going to drop? And but you bring up that point where it's like two years ago, we kind of had that same feeling. And even I, in fairness to myself, I, I came on the pod two years ago and said when they were number two in the country and said, I feel like there's something like there's a negative with this team that we might be missing. Maybe I wasn't as adamant about it, but I, in my heart of hearts, I felt like there was, there was some issue that, that was going to have trouble being resolved. And it was, they weren't a great offensive team. And that was reflected in how they played in those games against Michigan state and how they played uh, in the sweet 16 against Texas tech. You know, the, the easy answer is, well, you know, they might just have an off night where they're not shooting well, but you could say that about any team ever. Like the, the 2016 yeah. Warriors could, you know, Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, is the potential that they start to have some of those lapses defensively like they were early in the season? Is it possible that that kind of, uh, you know, shows back up again? It is. But like I said, there's still a ton of athleticism. They've rebounded the ball better. They're playing with a ton of confidence. The energy that this team is bringing right now is is unmatched and again it's easy to be high confidence it's easy to bring a lot of energy when you're boat racing teams but you know it has to start from somewhere like the and i feel like they have not outside of oakland which again and i i felt this way kind of after it happened it is looking more and more like an anomaly like i mean clearly you know that was not a reflection of how good this team really was and i think that was that was the first game where Jawan went all right dickinson play him feed him give him the ball uh, in the first half of that game. That was not the case. He ended up winning him that game. And we, you know, the, the rest is history. Uh, yeah. That you make a great point. I, I'm not seeing a lot of weaknesses. Um, you know, we, last year was a, it, we kind of had a similar thing where they shot the lights out of the ball, but that was, you know, that was three, four games. You know, we're, we're coming up on, on 10 games. We're in the thick of the conference schedule right now. And they have passed every test with flying colors. Uh, this is a, it's a very fun team to watch right now. Like not just, they're not just beating teams. And obviously when you win, everything's fun. But like I said, the energy they bring the confidence, there's a, a there's a togetherness, you know, the, the word that gets thrown around all the time is culture. And you, you feel that watching this basketball team play right now, there is one more guy I wanted to bring up and maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just a sucker for like role player bench players. And cause I've talked about this guy a lot, but um, I know where you're going with this Brandon Johns in the first half. Now Michigan was going to win this game. But I think he helped establish that lead in the first half with his minutes off the bench. Off again, I said it, I've said it before. The whole Brandon Johns becoming a fifteen and ten guy a night probably won't happen. But that doesn't mean he's not going to serve a role. Thirteen minutes, three for three from the floor, four rebounds, two blocks, and seven points. That is as a, a second or third guy off the bench. That's a great game. That's an efficient game. That's a confident game. And, and he, you see with, you know, when he, when he's staying within himself, the ball fakes, the pump fakes, he's playing with a lot more confidence. He's not as erratic. Um, he's a key piece to this basketball team. Cause you know what? That's here. Here's a weakness. And again, it's kind of natural college basketball for this stuff to happen. It is amazing that at no point this season, again, knock on wood, anyone has gotten into substantial foul trouble. Like, Amazing. We're 10 games in. I can't think of a single game in which Livers got two in the first five minutes. Or I think maybe there was one game where maybe Wagner got two early on, but it was, I don't think it was against anybody really. There was a Mike Smith game somewhere in there. Was there? Okay. But yeah, I guess. But still, like nothing, you know, not, you know, Trey Burke picking up two fouls, you know, against Louisville in the Natty, like like early on. Nothing that's like really had an impact on him. At some point, more and more teams are gonna uh, are gonna uh, uh, you know clamp down on Hunter Dickinson. I could see him 
you know, inadvertently swinging an elbow, getting called for an offensive foul, something like that early on. At that point, you're going to have to go to your bench and getting establishing the confidence of a Brandon Johns or potentially a Terrence Williams uh, and Austin Davis, obviously when he comes back uh, could be huge. And I think the development of some of these guys is going to be something that uh, we're going to, you know, is going to end up helping this team a lot more uh, in the long run when they do start playing against some elite competition. Yeah. um, To go back to the brain, like the Brandon Johns thing. I mean, I think since, you know, since putting him on blast on the podcast, which we didn't really. No, we, I know. We, I'm giving, yeah, yeah. I'm sure people will say that, but yeah. No, I think we were very uh, fair about the situation, and but since then, not that it was a you know a turning point. I mean, that was a talking point with the coaches we we'd talked to in the media too. I think around that time, um, both Saudi Washington and Phil Martelli had kind of been talking about how Brandon Johns was their number one project right now, but. He's the energy he brings again, he, what he did in high school, the fact that he was a Michigan or Michigan, Mr. Basketball, Mm -hmm. the fact that he was a four-star guy that's irrelevant now. Um, It's it's all about how he fits into the confines of this team. And and the minutes that he's been giving them over the last couple of games, I think it's been really impressive. And um, oddly enough, I think some of the minutes where, at least lately where things don't quite go as well as when he switches back over to the four, I think he's been playing the five fairly well. Um, Good point. Yeah. And that's huge for them because I mean, we're still, and that's maybe moving forward. Maybe the biggest question I have is when Austin Davis comes back, he's not, I don't expect him to be in the starting lineup, but how does he fit into, you know, I could see a scenario where Austin Davis is, your seventh guy off the bench. I could see a scenario where he's your 10th guy off the bench. I don't know. Um, Mm. You know, I think a lot of the reason that he was brought back for this year was with the knowledge that he was going to be someone that was going to shepherd uh, in this young center in Hunter Dickinson and and throw him, throw him around in practice and, and things like that. And I think not saying that his purpose has been served there, but um, you're seeing the impact of that now. And Seems so, like it. <laughs> so yeah. I am curious to see if there is one lingering question. And I still think it's going to be a couple, maybe a couple weeks um, before we see him. Um, how does he fit in when this all, because I feel like I, uh, my gut says we maybe start seeing less of Terrence Williams, but yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not sure how he fits in when he gets back. I think there's a, a spot for him. I think that it's important to be able to give Hunter Dickinson. Like Hunter Dickinson can't I, – I, I just can't – I can't play him for 37, 38 minutes. I need to give him five minutes rest at least in each half. So, And even mm-hmm. he said he's gassed. Um, he gets gassed too. So to me, that's maybe the biggest lingering question, but it's, it's just really tough to um, – you know, you watch these games and you're trying to analyze, okay, if someone's going to beat this team, how? I mean, maybe it's an off night defensively. Maybe it's an off night shooting. But now we're talking about off nights. We're not talking about major deficiencies that the basketball team has. Right. So yeah. It's just, it's like- I, I don't know. <laughs> I've, I've been singing their praises for weeks. It's, it's good to be proven somewhat right for once. Right. I think this, right now to me, um, this is the, bit, the best team in the Big Ten. Uh, Tuesday will bring who I think is probably the second best team in the big 10 in Wisconsin, but 
again, I'm not sure. Um, you know, Michigan gets them at home. Again, that's not as, as big a factor as it has been in the past because there are no fans. But uh, again, we've talked about the dimmer switch. It's starting to crank up just a little bit more um, with every game now. So um, they're going to lose some games. <laughs> I feel like we keep saying that too. They're not going right. undefeated. Um, the thing I find interesting is that, you know, in most college basketball seasons, we talk about how, um, at least in the Big Ten, you're like, all right, you look through the schedule, parse through it. Okay, like this stretch here. Uh, this stretch might be difficult here. Um, I think 20 wins might be the magic number. Obviously, there's a there's less games this year. So I think we kind of said maybe s- somewhere in that 16 to 17 range. Yeah, that was my – I think my preseason was 17 and 8. Yeah, like, I, I think we kind of said that would pretty safely put you there. Um, but we're looking at a scenario now where – it's possible they could win 20 games in a, in a 25 game season, which is yeah. insane. Yeah, they, um, they won 19 a year ago. Yeah. And that's, an, that's assuming that uh, like, I think this Penn state game will get made up. I mean, they have mm-hmm. a week off between, I think both teams have a week off um, between the 23rd and the 30th, which oddly enough, I'll be out of town. So that's fun. Okay. Um, yeah. That's, those are really my only questions right now. Like I, I almost, how do I put this? I'm not rooting for them to lose, but I'm no. interested in, in seeing them lose to, to seeing what it looks like. And I think we kind of talked, had a similar conversation like that, um, that 2018 year, the, the year that you referenced earlier, where you weren't sure if they were that good. Um, I know this is a good team, but I'm just curious as, as what it might look like when they do lose. Cause I think mm-hmm. that's going to be important too. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, going back, you know, eight years ago, I think that that was something that the 2013 team struggled with. You know, you reach number one in the country, you're dominating everyone you're playing. Uh, you slip up. I think their first loss was uh, Indiana or maybe Wisconsin. And uh, they kind they, they, you know, they were, they were grinding there for a minute. They finished the year seven and seven. And I think that that, you know, as, difficult as that was at the time. I think even John Beeline would admit uh, that that seasoned them. I mean, that got them prepared for the, the, the cruelty, the difficulty of March. Um, and I think this team will at some point have to go through every team does every team does, you know, unless you're, you know, unless you're UCLA in the sixties and seventies, like I, I think you are going to experience some sort of adversity and um, it will be interesting to see how they respond. I believe in their response because I think this is a remarkably confident group. I think this is a group that uh, really has it together. I, I don't see, and um, we, we, it's mentioned in our Stu Douglas interview that in 2011 there was a moment where some guys were getting frustrated, and you wanted you you ha- you would have a team meeting to avoid having guys kind of point fingers at each other. I don't see that with this team. I, I don't see any sort of divide, and I th- it's why I do have confidence that when they do uh, come up short, uh, it's not going to spiral out of control. So, I mean, I don't, I don't have anything else to add. I'm incredibly proud of this basketball team. I'm having a lot of fun watching this basketball team right I'm now. watching sports? What the hell? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, it's so, yeah, <laughs> misery has been our brand, not just on here, but, you know, I mean, look at the, the state of Detroit. So, it's been, it's really been a joy uh, watching this team play. And, you know, you got to try, you got to try to enjoy these moments because this is, this is a very fun run this team is on. I don't know how this thing's going to end, but right now, uh, collectively, there's a lot of people, including us, that are having a lot of fun. So uh, that's going to do it for for this segment, talking about Minnesota. 
we're going to go ahead and we're going to kick it over uh, to next segment where we have a, a very fun interview with a uh, former Michigan basketball player, uh, Stu Douglas. Thanks for listening, everybody. Go ahead and check out that interview. Hey guys, Anthony from Maze and Brew here to introduce you to our friends and sponsors of the podcast, homefieldapparel.com. Homefield is a premium collegiate apparel brand located right in the heart of Big Ten country in Indianapolis and makers of some of the most comfortable items of clothing you will ever own. Homefield launched its Michigan collection in early November with several awesome vintage designs that capture a lot of the things we love about the Wolverines. Everything they do and design for all schools comes from a place of love that honors the history of some of our favorite institutions across the country. So if you're looking for a gift for that Tulane grad of yours, or simply want to add some North Dakota State gear to your collection, in addition to the Michigan stuff you buy, they are the place to do it. Our listeners, our readers, the Maize and Brew family can get 20% off your first purchase using the promo code MNB at homefieldapparel.com. That's promo code MNB at homefieldapparel.com for 20% off your first purchase. I promise you, their gear will become an instant favorite in your collection. Chris Castellani joined by my host and friend, Anthony Broom. And we are joined today for an interview with former Michigan basketball player, four-year player under the Beeline era, one of the OGs of the Beeline era, 2012 Big Ten champion Stu Douglas joins us today on the pod. Stu, how you doing, man? Thanks for being on. I am good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. And also forgot to mention host of the Go Blue with Stu podcast, which we'll talk about yes. a little bit uh, later in this episode, which is a, a honestly, I recommend to anyone out there who's a college hoops fan or a Michigan fan, uh, really good interviews, really good stuff. I, I'd recommend people go out and listen to that. And that's kind of where I'll start because, you know, one of the key themes on your podcast, and I feel like throughout kind of all of Michigan media, over the last two years now has been kind of the comparison between uh, Beeline and Howard, right? And mm-hmm. you were, like I said, one of the OGs of the Beeline era. Yep. Now in year two with Juwan. Uh, and, you know, one, one thing people like to do, and, and it's it's fun to do, is, is point out what one guy does differently than the other. But I kind of want to juxtapose that real quick and ask, you know, as someone who spent uh, as much time around John Beeline as almost any player he ever had. And as someone who's watched over the last couple of years, what, what Juwan's been doing, what are some similarities that you notice? What are some things that maybe that have carried over from the Beeline era to the Juwan Howard era? That's a good question. Uh, you know, I really have to be inside the huddle and excuse me, inside the practices and really see how Juwan operates. But, you know, talking to people and seeing what he said, you know, he likes to keep things close to the vest, uh, you know, very much that, that sort of outsiders are outsiders, insiders are insiders type of program situation, which is, which is good. I appreciate that. Um, but I think they have they have a lot of similarities, especially towards Beeline end of Beeline's era, where Beeline was realizing he has to utilize his talent. And he's got to let guys kind of make mistakes and be free. And you know that started with the 2013 team, which obviously had an incredible amount of talent, which was easy to do. But then he carried it over later. And, you know, you let Jordan Poole shoot some crazy shots because Jordan's going to be Jordan, and, and then you let guys just be themselves and. And, you know, he turned guys into NBA players or at least allowed them to flourish into their their potential. And, and I think Juwan does the exact same thing. Um, Beelan did a great job of adjusting 
because we he came in and you know it was the four out one in system which he still ran but eventually when you know Darius started to take the helm and Trey definitely and, and you know and especially post Trey it was a turn into a ball screen offense and he never did that at West Virginia so it was kind of adjusting on the fly in that sense I mean you know it was a yearly evolution I think for him but I think you've seen that with Juwan this year like they've just adjusted like Hunter's come in and then been dominant and he's you know they've all had to adjust from players to coaches and they've done a really good job of that and that's one thing I'm waiting for them to play bad and I think I think they kind of got that out of the way and I was like okay so they'll they'll do this periodically and it's like no they just keep adjusting and keep trying to improve every day and so that's a big similar I've seen between Beeline and Juwan. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And, and something I've been curious about is, you know, what we're seeing with Juwan Howard right now is, I mean, they're winning and, and doing things that I think even the most, you know, even the most level-headed of people didn't expect them to be doing this early under him. Um, mm-hmm. But it's still very much like the building of a program. And you were there for like the early parts of John Beeline ultimately turning. I mean, there is no where we're at today without what he did. So what did you see as some of the more foundational things that were set early on that, um, you know, got you guys eventually to, to where you were towards the end of your career and kind of fueled where they're at now? Yeah. You know, when you, when you come and take over a program that had not been winning, you want to come in and establish your cultures. You know, that's a, that's a, always a big buzzword that gets thrown around in college basketball for sure. Um, you want to come in and establish what you're about, you know, what the players are going to be about, you know, how, if you want to play, this is what you're going to have to do. And, you know, it, it takes a while because in my sophomore year, we had even more talent than my freshman year and, you know, had a losing record it was just really bad. And so there was a lot of ups and downs. Um, and, and it took, it's just going to take time. And with Juwan, it's been very seamless. I mean, I think he inherited really good players and, you know, guys that I think are part of that sort of winning culture that, you know, they had in the heat and they, you know, been trying to bring over to Michigan. Um, but with Beeline, yeah, it was just a, a real grind. And it was funny later, I didn't even learn until like later on that it was like on the hot seat my junior year with everything that went down in the beginning of our Big Ten season. I think we started 0-6. So it was... Uh, you know, inside of it, it it's was like, yeah, okay, this is exactly what we need to do. But, you know, on the outside, it, it didn't look like it was working, even though I felt like it was. And we were, you know, it just takes slow improvement when you take over a pro- program like that. So it, w- it was not easy for him. So that's a testament to, you know, what he accomplished. And, and both you guys just perfectly kind of set up the next thing that I was going to mention. And that's, you know, it seems like the big buzzword, and you just mentioned it, and a lot of people mentioned it, under Juwan, but also under Beeline is is – culture you know kind of under Beal or under howard it seems like it's that whole family kind of atmosphere maintaining accountability and you are looked at and rightfully so as one of the guys who kind of helped who bought into the beeline system early on and established uh that culture and kind of ushered in that new era of uh, michigan basketball i guess you know what in your opinion as a guy who ended up becoming you know one of the leaders of that team that uh you know won won a share of the big 10 title in 2012 what do you feel like are kind of the intangibles that go into creating a good culture? Cause culture is like a very abstract thing. And yet, you know, when it's right, you know, it's right when you see it. So like, what are the things that kind of go into making a good one? Yeah. There's a big difference between 
making one and then maintaining one and making yeah. one, it takes a lot of, lot of discipline. Like, you know, Beeline was always uh, a sucker for detail. And I think guys that were in, in the program, you know, even myself coming out of high school, it's like, it's an adjustment. It's a big adjustment. So making that program, he had to have a lot of, there's a lot of tough love. And I think love can probably even be thrown out the window a lot of times, but yeah, it was just, you know, kind of weeding, weeding personalities out, weeding bad habits out, weeding out, like just all sorts of things. There's, I can go into all the small details that he tried to weed out, but it, you know, just basically saying like, establishing and it took a while but it's just establishing like this is how it is this is how i want it to be and if you want to be here you have to adjust and you know go along with me um so there, there was a lot of rough periods i mean we had guys coming in and out of the program um the first few years and that you know that's going to happen but uh yeah it was I, I did not envy his position because you know you have to just constantly be on guys and it is exhausting and it was I'm sure it was just absolutely exhausting for Beeline for about three, you know, until, until probably the 2012 big 10 championship, it was just an exhausting process, but uh, yeah, it was definitely worth it for him. Yeah. You know, we talk about the process and you know what the, you know, how maybe the expectations were a little different on the outside. I'm curious, like, and, and we talk about this a lot, you know, on social media, you know, people joke, Oh, Michigan's a basketball school. It's a basketball school, mm-hmm. but um, you know, throughout really the early years when you were there, um, you know, there was a lot of, I don't know if tumultuous things with the football program going on, but definitely things with, uh, you know, Dave Brandon, the athletic director. I'm just, I'm, yeah. what do you see with, you know, was there any pressure, extra pressure added with, um, or I'm trying to think of a way to verbalize this a little better. How, how do you think that maybe affected the pressure that was on coach Beeline or did it add a layer to that in terms of, Hey, everyone's kind of on notice right now and, and yeah. we're not winning as much as maybe we thought we would. Yeah. It, um, it might've, uh, you know, it's hard to say, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, yeah, the athletic program was in a weird spot for a few years there. So I'm not quite sure what Dave Brandon's, process was and, and what he was thinking um i think early on i it felt like he trusted beeline but you know those are there's probably conversations behind closed doors we'll never know anything about sure. and what that process was like but i think there was a little bit of pressure there knowing that is a little bit of a revolving door like we're going to figure this out and you know guys will come in and out until we figure it out but it actually made our success even bigger. I think my junior and senior year, cause it was like, well, football team is what it is and they'll have their sports, but like, Hey, we can finally start to go towards the basketball team and like, look at this bright spot. So I think it, in the end, it almost helped us uh, more than anything because it amplified uh, our success a little bit. So that, that was a lot of fun, but man, yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of Rocky moments. I mean, I remember Tate four CA and, then you had Denard come in and, and be like big buzz, which took away from a lot of the basketball buzz at times. But yeah, it was, uh, those are interesting football times for sure. It was like wanted to root for these teams, but it, it was, it was tough. So I, I felt bad sometimes for those football guys, uh, especially when we started getting it going my junior year at the end of my junior year. 
I was like, yeah, I do not, I do not envy four years of just ups and downs and mainly downs. So it was, uh, it was quite the experience to see firsthand. Well, I guess the follow-up to that too would be like, is there, do, do basketball players get frustrated that, you know, like you guys were successful at the end of your time there. Was there frustration that like, look at what we're doing. Look at, this is the culmination of what we've been building to why what's pay a little more attention to us. Is that, was there any, any of that internally, or is that something you guys kind of just compartmentalize? No, there wasn't really any of that. Um, you know, it's hard to say there might've been like some early on where you had those discussions, I guess, sometimes internally where it's like football versus basketball. And, you know, you see them sell out games in football, even when they're, they were bad and pack, pack the stadium. And so, you know, you know, early on, we're like, what the hell? Like we want to be, we want more fans. Our freshman year was pretty tough. When, like we were close to getting a tournament and still like we wanted more support than we were getting. Um, but overall, not really. I, I think there was, you know, everyone was so excited by the, by the time my, you know, my junior senior year that like we didn't, those conversations weren't really taking place because sophomore year, we didn't deserve any fans. <laughs> like we didn't deserve <laughs> any praise or love at all. So there was nothing to really uh, complain about or, or like wish for. It was like, all right, I get it. Like we got to turn this around. So there wasn't too much of that. Yeah, and that 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 is a really you know fascinating answer there because you always have wondered because I mean you see it reflected in just how the press covers this stuff and how it's talked about. I mean, you know, football is such a, a polarizing thing mm-hmm. in the state of Michigan, and I remember even like watching those teams when I was in high school and being like, "Man, we got you guys are competing for Big Ten titles." You know, the the year after you you left, they're going to the Final Four, and it it it. It wasn't until, like you said, probably about your senior year where it felt like there had been kind of a shift in terms of people were were starting to take notice. Mm-hmm. I said uh, earlier, and, I, and I'll say it again, you're the, the host of the Go Blue with Stew podcast, and you've done some really fascinating interviews with a lot of you know key pieces of, of the Beeline era and a lot of key pieces of the media. But I want to hone in on uh, the conversation you had with Brendan Quinn, uh, who, for my money yeah. – Outside of Anthony Broom, of course, uh, the stop, best writer. Stop, the, stop. <laughs> <laughs> the, the best, uh, to me, the best writer in the state of Michigan. I mean, great writer. Um, He's awesome. Yeah, and honestly, but what makes him interesting too, really fascinating guy uh, to listen to. And uh, you know, he wasn't there when you were at U of M, but I do have to ask, when you were there and you're in the thick of things and you're getting interviewed after games and before games, do you read that stuff? Do you read uh, – obviously, the athletic wasn't around then, but do you read – M live and did you read M go blog and, and did you go on Twitter? It was your main focus to kind of maintain that, that tunnel vision and just kind of keep your head down. I didn't really read too much of that. I mean, I read, I read like, you know, Snyder or Rothstein mm-hmm. and beer. Like if they came out with an article, like I, I read it a little bit, but you know, I kind of knew what things were going to be said. And like, if I played bad, I played bad. If I played good, I played good. We won. Like at that point I was pretty accepting of anything. I think I stayed away from Ingo blog. It was a little too much like like barstool type like uh, comment section where it's like you never know if somebody's going to start talking trash and yeah, say some wild west stuff. over there. Yeah, I, I was <laughs> I stuck to UM hoops. I was looking for the uh, top five important plays. If I made the top five important plays on UM hoops, I was feeling pretty good. But I, that, that was a little more technical, so I would check out UM hoops a little bit more. But uh, I didn't worry myself too much about it. Um, because again, like we were, 
I was criticizing myself enough. You're getting criticized on film enough. And it's like, whatever they say, it's probably not going to be nearly as bad as what is in your own mind or what a coach is putting on film. So at that point it was like, ah, you know, I, I, I know enough. I know what they're going to say. You know, I like the, the feature pieces that they would do. Yeah. Um, the full length, the full length interviews, those, those are always fun. And I would have loved to do even more of those to be honest with you, but those what I would pay attention to the most. And and sticking with kind of the media thing, you know, something that I always was just so great about, about John Beeline was that he would come out and talk to members of the media. In a lot of ways, he'd probably explain stuff in as much detail as he would if he was sitting with you guys. And and if there was someone who didn't, um, you know, if if there was something on film where, you know, know, Stu Douglas, we need him to play a little better defensively. Like he would tell us that and do play, how do players react to things like that? If a coach, not really hangs you out to dry, but maybe hold, you know, you're already getting held accountable in the locker room, but you know, yeah. in a setting like that, does that ever make it back to you guys or how, how did that work? Again, like he's saying, whatever he says to the media, he's going to come back and say it to your face or even sure. or you had already done it by then. So he's having those hard conversations all the time with players and he's pointing out all those little things. He doesn't let too much get by. I mean, unless it's you know absolutely necessary. Um, so those things he says in the meeting, no, he doesn't come out and say like this player's an idiot or say something completely right. egregious, like whatever he's right. saying, he's going to, you know, he's going to eventually say it to your face. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's funny. I never even really paid attention to his pressers and you know, the, the questions that he answered, if, if I'm trying to remember correctly, but uh, cause you knew whatever he was going to say, you know, it was going to be worse when he got back in the locker room. So <laughs> it was, it was never really a problem. Yeah, that's 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 definitely fair. And it was it was weird because I saw like in the interview you did with 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 Brendan Quinn, it was Beeline was kind of an anomaly in that aspect where he wasn't, you know, similar to Juwan. He wasn't really interested in, you know, being buddy buddy with with the media. And yet you always felt like you got what you needed to get out of out of some of his responses and never like he was he was vague but not vague to a point where he didn't give you anything yeah. and i think that's why you know so many people one of the many reasons why so many people you know loved and respected him and uh, that kind of leads me into my next question which is you know beeline has he has gotten this mystique to him you know he's loved by the fan base mm-hmm. respected by the rivals you know uh as as clean as there as a guy as there is in, in college basketball but just kind of a peel the curtain back a little bit. What's, what's one thing about John Beeline that you think people get wrong? Like what's a misconception that people have maybe had through throughout his tenure that uh, maybe you as somebody who was inside the locker room uh, saw differently. I, I was talking about this with, uh, I, mean, I can't remember who I was talking to this about. We were talking about Beeline doing calling, calling big 10 games mm-hmm. and I don't know if this completely answers your question, but we were talking about how he could be an incredible um, color guy because he's, he could be super funny and he's, and he can be super cutting and make really funny jokes and give great insight. But, you know, he keeps up that sort of pristine image and mystique, but he's super funny. And yeah, so, you know, he's very wary of the media and like showing his full self and like anything that could be portrayed as negative, um, but I'm like, dude, I want you to say these jokes when I interviewed him for the podcast. I'm like, I want you to be cutting, like, give me some stuff. It's like, no, I'm going to be nice and, you know, respectful. And like, you know, that's how he is. And that's, he's built that up for years and that's who he is. And I respect it. Um, 
but yeah, there, there's definitely a part of him where he can let loose and he's not, you know, as buttoned up uh, right. as a lot of people, you know, want to think he is uh, because if you are, you're just going to go crazy in college basketball. Like you can't be buttoned up all the time like that. You got to let loose. So uh, that is one thing that people don't always see. Hmm. Yeah. It wasn't your team, but uh, I, you bring that up makes me think of him, the video of him, uh, coming to the locker room with what is a super soaker or something like that. Yeah. I forgot about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that's pretty great. Um, let's, I know Chris is kind of um, shepherding this interview here, but I kind of wanted to move into um, that 2012 uh, team, the Trey mm-hmm. Burke's freshman year. Obviously we knew what he wound up becoming yeah. um, even, you know, board, not even borderline legendary. I mean, he's, what he did the year after that is, is incredible. Did you see the seeds of that planted in his freshman year at Michigan? Yeah. I'm, I saw it from the beginning. I mean, I remember starting the first game, like kind of looking at the coaches, like, what the hell are you guys doing? Like just start him at point guard already and let me play the two spot. And so I don't have to have the responsibilities and he's definitely good enough. I mean, he came in the first couple of weeks and like busting my ass and one-on-one and I'm supposed to be like the defensive stopper for the team. And I'm like, all right, this is a little fluky. And then the next day it's like the same thing. I'm like, all right, this kid's for real. Like he was consistent the entire time. And like to be consistent with your talent like that as a freshman and especially as an unheralded freshman, the way he was compared to other players, um, you could see it early on. Like that, that consistency is so difficult. It's, I really, it's hard to put into words how difficult it is. And the way he was able to do that in his freshman and sophomore year was, yeah, almost like otherworldly. I mean, he was very deserving and player of the year, obviously. So you, you saw that very early on. Um, and he was the type of guy where he didn't have to come in and he wasn't voicing his opinions about things. He wasn't talking much. I mean, he didn't really say too many words. He just came in and was like, I'm going to be Trey and you give me the ball, I'll do the things that I know that I can do. And I'm just going to put my head down and be me. And it worked out perfectly because that's kind of like the exact player that we needed to plug in. You know, we had Zach and I, you know, didn't any, need any more um, leadership or, you know, guys coming in and really mixing stuff up from that standpoint. And so it was super easy to just plug him in and just let him be himself. It was pretty incredible. Yeah. And that was, that was one where, you know, he obviously he's known for what he did his sophomore year, but like, he should have been first team all big tennis freshman year. And there were I mean, a lot of whispers at yeah. the time about how like he might've gone pro when you look back on it, he probably could have after one year. Uh, and especially that was, I mean, probably the biggest recruit maybe in the history of, of the program, just in the sense that I remember, you know, Darius Morris had an awesome year 2011. And, uh, yeah. you know, there were a lot of people who were, who were, you know, disappointed with the fact that you know, he was, he headed to the NBA and you replace him with a guy who ends up being, national player of the year you know I, i'm actually i'm gonna go back a year before you know your final year because and i felt very old this week because i was doing some research and i realized two a little bit on over two weeks from now will be mm-hmm. the 10-year anniversary of your shot in breslin uh to oh, kind man. of put put the game i i, yeah, I know right? I, was, I was that's what that's what i said this week um <laughs> of that, you know, your game clincher against Breslin, uh, uh-huh. in 2011, um, you know, that is viewed and it should be viewed as, you know, a watershed moment for Michigan basketball, you know, really. And I think beeline has alluded to this. It's one program came into that game and another one came out 
You know, you look at the the record, what Michigan's done since that game, since that shot, it's pretty staggering. You know, after, when that happened uh, and you're in the, the midst, in the throes of things, you're kind of in the middle of the season, after that shot, after that game, after that moment, did it feel like there had been kind of a shift? Did you get the impression that this could be a watershed moment for the program or was it just kind of a, all right, we're on to the next one? Because at the time, like you said earlier, I, I if that wasn't your first win in conference, it was only your second. So you guys were kind yeah. of already behind the eight ball, but did you feel like kind of a weight had been lifted off your shoulders after a moment like that? Yeah, a little bit. Like it was vindicated of what we believed that we could be. Um, but we had, we had a massive team meeting that was crucial. Like if that team meeting didn't happen, we would have won that game at Michigan state. And it was about taking responsibility and not finger pointing like we were doing all year you know, trying to just worry about the individual in order to improve the individual in order to improve the team. And it was a, a huge moment for us. It was a, that was a real shift in the season. And, you know, I said this before, and it's easy to say now because we won at Michigan State, but if we had lost that game, I still believe that we would have carried over mentally and still stayed strong and like gone to the next game and been like, okay, we like, we got to build off that and keep going. But yeah, that's easy to say because we won that game and we kept it going. So that definitely gave us a lot of confidence and it made us realize like, yeah, we like, we can be here. We do belong. We are capable of this and we're capable of even more. So that was a, a big moment for us, but you know, they, they keep you so grounded and like, especially myself, like I buy into the whole one game at a time thing. So it was like, okay, we won. Cool. Like there's still things we could have done better and maybe even close that game out you know, a little better, you know, just, there's so many things you're just always looking forward that like in the moment you can't, you don't really have too much time to sit back and really soak it all in. Uh, I mean, we did kind of soak it all in at scorekeepers uh, after that, that night. And then that was, like, I, I can was, imagine yeah. naturally, but, <laughs> but that was about it after that, then you, you're moving on. So how, how, how awesome is it to win in that building? It's incredible. I mean, you come in and they have the, what was it? Thousand and something days. Like, like there's four kids. Yeah, I remember. I forgot about that. That's yeah. Right. They painted on their chest. And there was a kid that like had a picture of my girlfriend in the Halloween costume, like trying to talk shit to me. And I'm like, went over and talked to him. Like th- it was just rowdy. Like those fans were rowdy as hell. And mm-hmm. when I hit that shot, I mean, the hush of that crowd is like, it still sticks with me. It is like deafening. And it's like one of the things I take away from college, like it's like one of my most vivid memories. And so to win there was just absolutely incredible. I never really pictured us being able to do it because of how difficult it was. Uh, so getting to that moment, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's a top five sort of vivid moment, you know, top five moment for sure, but like the vivid memory of it, um, we have always stick with me. Is that the toughest big 10 environment you had, you've had to play in? Yeah, for some reason, Ohio State was always tough too. Uh, well, they were re- they were really good when you were. They were so good, yeah. and for whatever reason, that that arena is just so weird. It just felt, it just felt like such a weird game every time we were there. It's hard to explain, but um, that that was tough. And Purdue was really tough. I'd say those were probably top three toughest for me. Uh, for whatever reason, Purdue was always really tough. You know, it, it, that is ironic because you're the end of your senior year. You guys found yourself rooting 
for Ohio State in that yeah. last uh, in that last game. And I, you know, I I went back and I I found the video. I hadn't seen it in you know almost probably eight nine years of you guys reacting to Buford's shot to beat uh, Michigan State. Uh, yeah. and, you know, to so you guys earned a share of the the Big Ten title. And you were you know you were freaking out and. And Zach Novak was there with his shirt off and he was freaking yep. out and, and, you know, Vogrich going nuts. And I guess just kind of take us through that, that moment. What, did you guys kind of realize at that point, like, you know, we might be selling our soul a little bit here, but Hey, man, how many showers did you have to take? I think is what he's getting at. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If, if, <laughs> if it means getting a, exactly. If it means getting a share of the big 10 title, uh, so be it. Well, I literally, when that, I mean, so I'll paint the picture. Like we're, we get home from the Penn state game. We're obviously watching it in that, uh, in our little film room. And all of us are just like, yeah, Buford's going to win this game. Like Buford is hundred percent going to win this game. This is with two minutes remaining. We're like, Buford's just going to keep winning this game for Ohio State. And that's exactly what happened. I think he, I don't know how many points he had in the last few minutes, but I mean, he absolutely dominated the end of that game. And it was like, he had, ended up having to hit that game when he shot. And I remember like the ball was in the air and Bill Gritch just screaming, this is what he does. And it went in and it was like, <laughs> It was just perfect. But I remember even after that, like I was still a little bitter because I was like, dude, if we just beat Purdue mm. at home, like we should have like handled that business easy, finished the year undefeated at home. Like, so I did a little, what if sort of thing. It was a little hard to enjoy in the moment. It was really mm. fun, but I was still like a little, little bitter in that moment, which is a testament to my dumb brain. I wish I could have just enjoyed the moment, but uh, yeah, it was a little bittersweet, I guess. So after something that always sticks out for me is, and maybe it's because I was a, a bad student doing this, but I remember you guys uh, played an NCAA tournament game against Tennessee uh, where you just absolutely destroyed them, blew the barn doors off of them. Um, and I remember this because I think it was one of the first games of the afternoon. And I was like, I snuck out of class to like follow it on my phone or something. And just every time you, refresh the score it's you know oh they're up by this much now oh my god they're up by 30 now um, how much fun did you guys have playing that game i mean w just games like that in general where defense is locked in seems like you got most of what you wanted offensively um how awesome of a moment was that it was one of the most fun games i've ever played in legitimately it was on a national stage we were i don't think picked to win by the majority of the analysts i think on the pregame show that we saw um we're just dominating them. Like they have NBA talent. We're just, I mean, killing them. And it, it was just so much fun to do that on a national stage where you know that people are watching has never watched you before and they have no idea who you are. And then, you know, I get to have that dunk. I hit like a really long three before that. And I think we even set the record for eight, nine margin uh, yeah, of victory that. at the time. I don't know if it's been beaten, but, I mean, all around, it was just like, you get those moments uh, where these little moments are like, okay, this is why I do what I do. Like, this is why I put the work in. Like, this is kind of what you work, build towards. Um, and it was disappointing that we couldn't get the next game. But, yeah, I mean, one of the most, absolute most fun games I've ever played in. It's hard to quite put into words. But, uh, yeah, those are those, those, for whatever reason, that game too has a, a lot of sticking vivid memories for me. Yeah, well, I, I, mean, yeah. I had forgotten about this. That was the Tobias Harris team. And you guys were only up, you were up 33-29 at the half. And then just, yeah. so 
what was, I guess going back now, like what was the mess? Do you remember the message in the locker room at halftime? Uh, I mean, I guess Tobias won't score 18 again in the second half. Like he was just, <laughs> well, they you know, only scored 16 as a team in the second half. Yeah. Yeah. It's, which is insane. I mean, we, we then brought out the zone. I think then maybe we did even the first half, but the, uh, the zone that haunts every, you know, at a conference team that are like, like we hadn't even really played all year. We didn't want to play it. We didn't like playing it. Uh, but for whatever reason it worked. Um, I think what did Vogrich was Vogrich killing that game? Gave some steals and some, and some big shots. I, I don't remember, but I remember like watching some interviews with Bruce Pearl, like before the game, a few days before, and they were like talking about practicing against the one through one zone. And like, I remember having a conversation with Novak and Beeline. I was like, dude, we don't, we don't play the zone. <laughs> like they're, they're spending all their time worrying about like beating a one through one zone and we're not even planning on playing it, but it was so scary to everyone else. They're like, we got in the game and played it and we weren't even playing it well. And they just kind of looked at each other like, oh, well, what do we do? And it was like, this is, hmm. it was really strange. It was a very strange game to have, play against so much talent and just be able to just stifle it with something that really, really didn't even care about. So it was pretty funny. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at the box score right now. Vogrich, Vogrich was five for five from the yeah. floor. Uh, oh yeah. And- Jordan was watching that game. He said MJ was watching that game. So he was playing for MJ. It's like at halftime, <laughs> at halftime, he made sure that I knew MJ was watching him play and that scoring <laughs> all those baskets. And I was like, okay, buddy. Uh, yeah. I, I got one more here and I, I wasn't sure if we'd get to it, but you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of a fun one. You played with Ant Wright now at, yeah. at U of M and you know, he has become like, he's one of those guys, like he's not technically like a, well, maybe he is now, but he was not like technically a credentialed member of the media. And yet like is kind of a go-to guy regarding Michigan hoops, college, uh, college hoops in general. When you played with him, was there any indication that this was kind of the direction he was going to take things or, or has there been kind of a change in, in how he goes about things over the last decade or so? It not quite. I mean, I wasn't quite expecting this, but it makes sense because he, he has an understanding of like how things tick and he knows, mm-hmm. he knows what people want to see. He knows, you know, you got the YouTube breakdown videos. He's got reactions. He does live streams. He's like getting in places where, um, he can kind of find a new angle or, you know, get in somewhere where, you know, somebody else isn't doing it quite the same. And he's kind of the same way. Like he could be very cutting as a teammate and like really get under your skin where he's like, <laughs> he knows how you tick and he's really getting after you and making fun of you. Um, so he always had that, he always had that flair and that personality. So that, that makes total sense. Um, but yeah, he just, you know, it makes sense now, but back then it was like, I don't know what Ant was going to do or what the hell he was going to do at post post uh, post college basketball. But he, yeah, none of it was surprising at all. That was for sure. I, I could see it early on, especially we started doing like the YouTube videos and like commi- how much he's committed to really doing it. Mm-hmm. And we, t- I've had a conversation with about him before. It's like, you just got to do it, do it, do it. And I'm not quite the same way. So, you know, I had a conversation where I was like asking about how to get into it and stuff. And he's like, I do this, this, this. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to commit like, <laughs> like you, like you are. So it's a testament to his hard work. Like he's really put in a lot of hard work to it. Uh, but yeah, it is definitely funny to see. I mean, you see it. I mean, he gets under the skin of people on Twitter all the time. And I was like, yeah, that's what he was doing in the locker room. Like it's the same stuff, but he, then he applies it to uh, the whole media world. So it's been, it's been funny to watch. 
Yeah, good good dude, uh, friend of the kind of friend of a site too. Yeah, we've met yeah. him a few times. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, you want him on your side. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, no, I've been for, I've been, too. We're yeah. trying to stay on everyone's good side here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to circle back really quick to you know that we kind of hit on it sort of uh, after that Tennessee game uh, that that year. You guys played Duke. It was a close loss. Again, I, I know there's no such thing as as moral victor or moral victories or things like that, but what was the mood after that game? Was that a man? We, we just took Duke to the brink. Was it, you know, disappointment? Was it, Hey, this is the, this might be truly the start of, you know, you know, the sky being the limit for us and, and maybe taking things to another step next year. We knew that, you know, Trey would be coming in and all that, but um, what was the reaction to that Duke loss? I think just a lot of disappointment. Um, it was really somber. I mean, we didn't have any seniors, but so I guess it was like, okay, you know, we can build on this type of thing. But I think it took a couple of days, right? I think I looked back and was like, damn, dude, we were close. Like we, it could have been my first week 16. Um, and you kind of just replay the mistakes, you know, that, that Duke team was full of talent and yeah. it was, they were extremely difficult to play against. I mean, I think in the second half, Nolan Smith was just going off. And it was like, all right, like this is an NBA guy. And, you know, what, what are you going to do? So there, there was times where I could look back at it and be like, all right, that's their talent. They win. Like that's what they were going to do. And like, you know, we, we did our best. But you, when you get that close, it just – it gets really hard to not do the what ifs. And, you know, I've said before, like sometimes I'd rather just get blown out by a team. Like I'd rather know that I – was not capable then get so close and then know I'm capable, but still not get there. And so that was tough. It was a tough pill to swallow. I mean, I think we did a good job of parlaying that into our success, our senior year and really staying focused the entire year and having success the entire year. But yeah, I mean, it still replays. Like I, I still replay the, the, the last play where Darius shot the floater and like me and Zach are open. Like, I swear, if he passes me the ball, I'm, I'm hitting that shot and we're going to win that game. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it, it replays. That is for sure. And and that's the thing is, you know, you guys, you, you did such a good job of, you know, creating that foundation and, and building up the program. And, but with that said, man, you guys had some painful losses too. you know, Duke that year, um, that, that's still, I'm still mad. That stupid Wisconsin game where the guy hit the bank shot at the buzzer and, oh, you know, the, the, I don't know. I, 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 I hate to be yeah. br- bringing up old memories, but I'm, I'm going to a good place here. You know, that the yeah. Evan Turner shot. They made the final four the year after you left. When that happened, did it did it kind of feel like a, a bookend to you and Zach Novak's kind of legacy? Did did it did you take a lot of kind of personal insatisfaction being like, you know what, maybe uh, maybe we didn't we didn't build the entire house, but we kind of handed them the tools to be able to do it? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think fans definitely felt like that. <clears throat> I felt a lot of appreciation from the fans and mm-hmm. um, stuff like that, and like people being like, you know, this is what you helped build and. I felt good. Uh, I felt good, but we ended my senior year so horribly. You know, we lost to a good Ohio team. I mean, they made, they almost went to the elite eight and almost beat UNC and went to elite eight that year. But it was still like, it was still a lot of where a lot of thoughts of like, man, I wish I could have had some of that. Like just give me half of that. Yeah. So it was, it was tough at times for sure. But, um, as the years went on, I, I've taken more pride in it, but it was still like, 
I think still some open wounds from all that, that, you know, just take time to heal. And, but sure. I think within the last three, four or five years, I've definitely took a lot more pride in it. Well, and, and the foundation that was built with you guys, you know, in retrospect, it, it, they're seeing what they're doing now that there, it has been kind of a seamless transition into a new era yeah. with a mixture of guys that, that coach Beeline recruited and, and you know, all that it's, I have to think that, that that is, I mean, you guys were instrumental in like, we joke about Michigan being a basketball school now, but it is yeah. there. These are heights they've never, they've never achieved over the last 10 years or so. And then you guys played a massive role in that. So I, you know, as time goes on, I'd have to, you know, we are kind of the voice of the fans here, you know, me and Chris, I mean, <laughs> we, we see it like we, you guys are instrumental in, in every every aspect of this so your finger your fingerprints are there so we see well, that. I, I appreciate that that it does mean a lot and, and it's funny that you say that because when I, and I think about let's say michigan goes on under juan is a perennial top 10 top 15 power and like same like under beeline like it goes on for years and they become like established like a it would be a cool like imagine it was like a kansas or something right now and be like oh yeah like that started with us like that that would be pretty yeah. cool looking back um and like I said before, as the years goes on, as the years go on, like it gets easier to look back and like be a little more proud of all, all that stuff. But there's still like that competitor in you that like still, sure. is like, damn, damn. But it, it is, it is fun to see like just consistency and how, and knowing like being in the middle of it where it was like, knowing how difficult it was to have that consistency and to build that consistency and where it came from. Like many, many years, it took my entire, my entire college career for a beeline to build up that consistency. Um, and again, like I said, with Trey and with the program, consistency is just, it is so underrated and it's so difficult to achieve. So that, that is cool to, to be at the, I guess the ground floor of that. I, I feel like I've said I had one more question, like three questions ago, but I, this is, this <laughs> no, is I do, good. I do have one, I do have one more for you. And it, it, it's about coach Beeline. You know, I, mm. you know, obviously when you were there, his stock as a coach was you know far different from where it was in 2019. Yeah. Did you get the inclination at any point in your career that he could be a guy who would be interested in coaching in the NBA? And my follow-up to that is, were you surprised when he, when he went to the NBA? So Boring answer, yes and no to both of those. Like, you're kind of in the middle somewhere where I would say that his competitiveness and, you know, he's never been an assistant coach. Right. So he's got – and the NBA is the only level he hasn't been at. Um, you know, he hasn't coached overseas, but whatever. You know, NBA was the, the thing that he would need to get to next. And, you know, I'd be the same way as him. I'd have an ego. I'd have a success that I've had in college. I'd always be thinking what if, you know, if, if I never actually – um, pulled the trigger and went to the NBA and tried to do it. I did not think it was for him, um, just the way he is, knowing him and how the NBA can be, especially the Cavs. Like that, you know, you can go into the Miami Heat and, you know, he could go in and be like, this is my culture. Like, you're going to, you know, give me guys that want to win now. And he is good at building up a program with young guys. But, you know, you turn around and you got management wanting you to play players. And it's like, it's hard to discipline guys because you got so many guys that you need to play all the time and get their experience. You have so many games. It's hard to hang on to one game. Like in college, games are more important, each individual game. So it's just a different environment that I just didn't think was the best fit for him. I mean, I don't think that he would, 
it's impossible for him to have success in the NBA. But like at the same time, I was not surprised because I knew that he's always challenging himself, always trying to push himself. And this was just one more thing that he needed to push himself and challenge himself uh, with. And so I am interested to see, you know, if he's going to coach again, I, I have no idea. I interviewed him and he was like, hinted maybe, maybe he would do it. I, you know, we'll see, you know, I, uh, I just hope that he enjoys, can enjoy what he has done in his career and all the success he's had. Um, but, you know, like I said, like he's a super competitor and he's just going to keep pushing. So like, I don't know if he's one of those guys that can just really sit back and enjoy things because he's always looking forward to like the, the next success. That's how he's built his success. But um, we'll see. It'll be very interesting to see. You have anything else, Anthony? Oh man, I think we've, we've, we've plowed a lot of ground here. So yeah, oh, good stuff. Well, uh, and like I said at the beginning and have said throughout the podcast, go blue with Stu, uh, Stu Douglas's podcast, check that out. It's available wherever you can find your podcast and his YouTube channel for it as well. If you want to watch the, uh, video feed, uh, this was a lot of, I guess real quick, if you want people to find you on social media, where can we find you? Where can we find your podcast? What is my name? Is it SWD underscore three one seven? That's my yes. I'm I'm looking at it right now. You got yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Well, other than that, no, I'm good. You got you plug the podcast. You can find it anywhere. Uh, you know, feel the sixty eight umbrella. Um, but yeah, that's all good. I appreciate you guys having me. It was really fun. Yeah, I guess you're not pre-programmed like us to be able to just regurgitate your Twitter handle. You know, I, 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 feel, I feel like I say at Castellani 2014 more than so, I say my actual name at this point. So so vain like that, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta so, be, uh, you know, it's funny. Exactly. So, Stu, thank you so much, man. And uh, everyone out there, all our loyal listeners, thank you for listening. And uh, let us know what you thought of this. We will uh, see you next time. Thanks a lot.